there's a story, uh, a book that's written by John Mullum called This is Chance. And it tells the story of the great Alaskan earthquake of 1964, the strongest earthquake to ever hit North America. If you're like me, you had never heard of the great Alaskan earthquake of 1964. But he tells it, it's called This is Chance, because he tells it through the eyes or the experience of a woman named Jeannie Chance. Or really tells it more through the voice of Jeannie Chance. You see, Jeannie Chance was about 38 years old at the time with three kids, um, a husband who was, let's just say, having difficulty making uh, ends meet for them. And so she chipped in as she knew how. She uh, got a job with a local uh, TV station. And she did kind of personal interest stories here and there. It was on the, uh, that evening, I think the earthquake hit about 5 o'clock in March. There was a light snow falling. She was in the car with her son, who suddenly remembered he needed something for school the next day, when she thought she had a blowout because her car w was shaking so violently. And then she realized when she stopped, and the shaking didn't stop, that something else was going on. I won't tell the whole story, but suffice it to say that she grabbed her microphone and got on with the radio station. And Jeannie Chance became the voice for Alaskans connecting people in that cold darkness, telling people where their families were, reconnecting families, reuniting families, marshalling resources, bringing people together to help out those in need. Her voice traveled not just through Anchorage, but through Alaska, throughout the world, letting loved ones know that their families were okay. This was in 1964, and so it was in the height of the Cold War, and the government was trying to prepare for the event of a nuclear attack, and, and what they imagined would be the deterioration of society. And so they sent a sociologist to research this, expecting to witness this civil discord, this tearing apart of, this, of the seams that make civilization. And when they got there, they found exactly the opposite. One of the pe persons that they interviewed said, everyone was doing something to help everyone. And Jeannie Chance connected all of them. The sociologist from the Centers for Disaster Research later noticed that there was something about this catastrophe that brought out the best in people. And they went on to say that they, when they had noticed this in other catastrophes, they went on to say there is something about this shared suffering in the event of a disaster. Things that normally we go through independently, silently, alone. Suffering, even death, suddenly spills out into the public sphere and it's experienced by everyone together. We don't suffer alone. We wind up sharing in one another's sufferings. And that has this power to bring us together with tremendous psychological force to bring us together through this shared suffering. The second thing that the sociologists determined in these disasters was that in that moment, it strips away all of our assumptions about ourselves and one another. It strips all of those things that we think have to be about who I am and who you are. It strips them all away. 
And then, and then we can come together. It's in that, in those moments when we lose our assumptions about who you are and who I am, sometimes shaken violently even, that there is this opportunity for transformation. An opportunity for transformation out of this disaster. Now we know this, we know this better than most people. If we've been through Katrina, if you remember the early days of this pandemic, the way that people came together, there was a shared suffering that did forge these bonds. We were shaken out of our ruts and routines and assumptions. And there was this power for things to be different, to be a little more like God intends. But it's not just in times of disaster. I would say it's also in times of great euphoria as well, where we share the joy and it shakes us out of our ruts and routines and assumptions. And there's an opportunity there for transformation. Maybe you've experienced it at a sublime theater performance or a concert that brought everyone together. If you're a football fan, I bet you remember when the Saints won the Super Bowl and all the new brothers and sisters you had. Or more recently, maybe, at the end of that amazing LSU football season when God's displays of power are seen by everyone, there is this opportunity for transformation. Pentecost, the event of Pentecost that we read about today is such an opportunity for transformation when God's deeds of power spill out into the public sphere. Notice that the gift of the Holy Spirit may have started with the disciples, but it spilled out quickly. There was this shared experience over and over again in that reading from Acts. We hear them saying, how is it we are hearing in our own native language? The people are sharing, sharing their sufferings, sharing their joy, sharing this amazement, sharing a common universal language that people are connected and brought together through this powerful bond of this shared experience. And at the same time, they are shaken out of their ruts and routines, the assumptions about one another, about being from different places, and so just being different is also shaken apart. And there is an opportunity for transformation. Pentecost. Is this opportunity for transformation. What will we do with it? We've seen violent displays. We've shared sufferings. And I'm talking, of course, about the pandemic. And, of course, I'm talking about the death of George Floyd. How can we not? Will this tear us apart? Or is there a power, a Pentecost power, to provide an opportunity for transformation? That's our work. That's what God has sent us to do. Jesus is really clear about that. In John's version 
of Pentecost, in John's gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus appears and says, peace be with you. It's at the end of that Easter day, peace be with you. And he shows them his wounds. He shares with them his wounds. And then they rejoice to see that those wounds were not the end of him. And then he says again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Pentecost isn't just a gift. Pentecost is a commission. Just as surely as God sent the Son to unite heaven and earth in one another, Jesus is sending us. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. It's a commission and an empowering, empowered by the Holy Spirit. To what? To be about the work of reconciliation. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. But if you don't forgive, they're not going to be forgiven. You know, I think we have a tendency to hear that as, well, wow, we are on this uh, moral superior throne, that we get to dispense forgiveness to people who are, who are sorry enough. I don't, think, I don't think it's a position of power, but I think it's a position of responsibility. We are called to be agents of reconciliation, participants in this Pentecostal opportunity for transformation. We don't sit on the moral high seat. We're out in the street with the disciples, speaking this universal language, hearing from other people's shared sufferings too, so that together we can look at our sinfulness. And with God's grace, with the example of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit, it can all be forgiven. And we can be reconciled. And if we don't do that, those sins are just going to keep circling around, causing violence and suffering and death. Pentecost is an opportunity for transformation, a chance for us to share our sufferings and our joys by speaking and listening. Not just speaking, but also listening. Remember, God gave us one mouth, but two ears. Which you may be thinking is, well, maybe, AJ, you should stop preaching now and start listening. And I will in a second. But we all, we all need to do a little bit more listening to our brothers and sisters. We're going to renew our baptismal vows here in just a second. So remember what Paul says in that first letter to the Corinthians. We have all been baptized into one body. We are no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, but we are all one body in Christ. Later, Paul goes on to say, too, that if one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. We need to listen because the body is suffering. Our brothers and sisters are suffering, and it's our work to listen to that. It's our work to confess the sins of racism, of a white-dominated culture that we benefit from, and to trust that this work of God will be done. If 
we take our place in this Pentecostal opportunity for transformation, if we not only speak, but if we listen, if we share sufferings and joys, and if we allow ourselves to be shaken out of our ruts and routines, to let go of the assumptions about what separate us, and if instead we do the work that Jesus has sent us to do, to be agents of reconciliation. Martin Luther King Jr. talking to the white church in that letter from his Birmingham jail cell said that in a real sense, all of life is interconnected. All men are caught in a network of, an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. What affects one directly affects all indirectly. We've all been baptized into one body. When the body is hurting, we need to listen. We need to share in those sufferings so that those sins can be forgiven and that we can be reconciled. This is the gift of Pentecost and the responsibility of Pentecost. It is an opportunity for transformation. What will we do with it?